We have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. We are almost done. I think we're just maybe uh, counting today. We're three messages left with the Sermon on the Mount, so we're going to start something new in uh, September. We have a lot of things going on in September, by the way. We're starting our another 21-day uh, practice in September 1 to 21, and so we're excited about kind of the way we're gearing that, so you're going to hear more about that soon. And also, just so you know, our groups start back up again in September, and so we're praying uh, just for God's favor and for community uh, for, for that to be formed. Now, we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's the end, okay? So Jesus has given us so many good things, and now this is the part where, like, the piano player is coming up right? The guitar guy is strumming and the pastor is just trying to get real poetic and just draw you in to make a decision. Jesus is the best preacher of all time. Amen. And so he does a way better job than any of us can, but it's really helpful for us to see Jesus. Like we talked about last week, he made it very crystal clear. There's only two ways. You either follow the way of, of Jesus or you follow the way of the world, but the following the way of Jesus may be difficult, but it will lead to life. Following the way of the world is easy. Everybody's doing it. But it does lead to destruction, both now and especially for eternity. And so what we're going to look at here, what we just read in verse 15, Paul is talking about false teachers. This is the topic all y'all love to talk about, right? False prophets. Um, I don't know why, but my YouTube, my YouTube page subscription constantly is like, can you believe this heretic preacher? Like it thinks I'm interested in all those things. I don't know if you are. I'm not super interested into it, but it is kind of scary. We live in a world with technology and the internet. Of course, we love it, but it's also a very bad thing. Can't tell you how many times leading somebody to Jesus, discipling them, and then they find some internet preacher and they go wacko right? Anybody else? I'm like, where did you hear this? Uh, YouTube. Well, okay. Well, I guess not all of it's great. Uh, we, a lot of people, we just think if I just Google a question of the Bible, the first result is right, correct? Like, of course, that's truth. Like, there was one time I was going in-depth looking at somebody's definition of some sort of, like, soteriology, some sort of theological word, and I finally realized I'm on mormon.org. I need to back out of this and go to a better source. Like, we do that, right? And so we have to see there is false teaching and there is correct teaching. It's not very popular today. Jesus was talking about there is a right and there is a wrong. What's sad is we base validity off of views at times. Um, but at the same time, let me just say this before we really dive in. Some of us, we need to listen to this message and realize we do not put our guard up enough. We just allow whatever false teaching to come into our ears. If it just sounds good, sounds encouraging, we think it's truth. Be careful. Others of you, you think everybody's a false teacher except you, okay? That's also overboard. So don't do that. There was somebody on my YouTube channel this week um, said I was vlogging in Alaska and, uh, and I was vlogging and my bed wasn't made and I just had stuff all over the floor. And they said, uh, you false teacher, you don't even make your bed in the mornings. So that's, that's your foundation, uh, me not making my bed, which first of all, okay, let's just talk about that. Isn't there a option that I recorded a video, then made the bed, then I left, right? Of course I didn't make the bed. I didn't leave that day yet. But um, let's not talk about that part, right? I kept thinking, ah, I'll do it the day we leave. You know, like, I hope they're not coming into here uh, before that. Uh, anyways, moving forward. So we just kind of have these weird parameters of like, okay, is this truth? Is this not truth? And it honestly is pretty terrifying. So kind of the title of today's sermon is, How do we spot wickedness when it's clothed in innocence? Oftentimes it seems right but it's actually very, very detrimental. So this will be fun because I get to bash preachers. I get to bash myself this entire hour. So you're gonna just, an hour? Don't worry, I, I was just a saying it won't be an hour long, I don't think, unless the Lord comes, amen, and I just 
get going. That's when all the amens are now done. But I do want to start out with this. Some of us need to take ownership that we have, as church members, created an environment where only false prophets excel. We need to take some ownership. It's really fun. I know I'm a fourth generation pastor, so I'm like on team pastor side and I get that. Okay. But we have to recognize as church members, we allow certain things to happen. And in America, especially, I feel like we have cultivated an environment where false prophets, false teachers excel, where true teachers are put on the back burner and not, um, not really promoted. So let me give uh, this to, to start out. We have to realize that we as church members, maybe we're not creating the best environment. I put up a quote. Go ahead um, on there on the first one. A Eugene Peterson quote I read earlier this week in a book called, um, I already forgot the book name, something about angles. It was a good book though, but the title wasn't that great. Now, it says this in there, and I think it's really good. Being the kind of pastor that satisfies a congregation is one of the easiest jobs on the face of the earth. Let me tell you, this bothered me, okay, when I first read it, but then it makes sense if we are satisfied with satisfying congregations. Later on, he says, it is very difficult to do one thing when most of the people around us are asking us to do something quite different. And a lot of us, we think pastoral ministry is probably easy because what you expect us to do actually isn't what God has called us to do. Pastoral ministry, I don't care if you leave after today, never see me again, whatever pastor you have in your life, please pray for them, um, especially the environment we're at today. Pray for all pastors, by the way. Don't just pray for the lead pastor. Pray for every person on staff. Um, but what is the job of a pastor, right? Like, what are we actually called to do? And the sad reality is even pastors have different answers for this. But here's what I believe is what the pastor's main duties. Of course, there's many other things that happen. But here's where, as, con as a congregation, we should expect these things, and we should encourage our pastor to do these things. This isn't on your notes, but here it is. Number one, prayer. Prayer is of utmost importance. What we are doing is working with souls and us going up and just working, working, working will do nothing if we don't have the favor of God behind us. Amen. Not only prayer for your soul, which I can honestly say, I promise you, people who are in here, I pray for you every week, but also I have to pray for my own soul. And so I'd love for you to pray for my soul because it can so easily be snatched away by the enemy. So prayer is number one. What's hard about that is that's hard to quantify. It's hard to tell if your pastor's working by praying, right? That guy never works. All he does is pray, right? And so we've kind of created that environment. Number two is the Bible. As a job, my pa uh, my, as my job as pastor, I'm supposed to read this book and deliver it to you week in and week out and encourage you to read it throughout the week. This book, the Bible, is what gives us direction, is what gives us an intimate relationship with King Jesus. So prayer, Bible, the third thing that maybe you didn't know is as pastor, it is my job for to be a spiritual director, spiritual direction, or another way we've been saying it a lot lately is spiritual formation. A pastor's job is to see where are you at in the Christian life and how can I make you, how can I help you? I can't make you do anything, right? Coercion, we talked about that a few weeks ago. But how can I help you take another step closer to Jesus? And how can I help you take another step closer to the community of God? That's my job. Prayer, Bible, spiritual direction. Now, does this, is there a bunch of other things? We live in America. There's things called paying rent. There's, thing, there's a lot of business stuff. It just has to happen, of course. And if I lay that to the side, nothing, I wouldn't be able to do those other things. But I would submit to you that this is our job. But I would also say most of us, and I'm a pastor's kid. I've read all your emails. And being a pastor, I've read your emails as well. Thankfully, you don't email anymore. I've read your Instagram DMs, okay? And 
there are some false expectations of a pastor, and most definitely a pastor's kid, but that's not what the sermon is for. Just take it easy on them. Now, Matthew 7, 15, let's just start marching through this. Let's look at all those false preachers. Now, some of you are waiting for me to call preachers out by name. I'm too much of a wimp. I won't do that. Now, verse 15. And I also think it's usually uncalled for. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. This is an imagery that we still use today, right? This is somebody who is a wolf in sheep's clothing. I don't even have to, as an expositor, explain to you what that means. You know what it means. Somebody who means ill intent, but they're dressed up. It seems like they want what's best for me. What does Jesus say to do? He says, be on your guard. Watch out for those who are wolves in sheep's clothing. What's hard about it, what this means is not just look, because if you just take a glance, they will look like another sheep. What's hard, we have to labor and figure out, are they a wolf? And let me just say, this means for the head pastor, but also people in the congregation are try to be wolves and to snatch other people away. And I've seen it time and time again. It's one of the saddest things to see. So I want us to spend our time. How can we spot wickedness when it's clothed in innocence? I'm glad you asked. Number one, are you with me? Write this down. False teachers love to deceive with sincerity. They love to smile a lot. They're like car salesmen, right? And it's just like, you know you want this. And they try to be sincere and loving. But just because someone seems loving doesn't mean they're actually loving. Uh, Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, he put it this way. He says, be wary of false preachers who smile a lot. I read that this week. I was like, okay, I can't smile this week. No. I'm like telling you guys, be wary of those who smile a lot. And you're like, okay, we're leaving. Okay. Um, but I would also say, be wary of those who don't smile a lot. Amen. You met those pastors before? Why are you even here, dude? Okay. Dripping. I love his language. Dripping with practiced sincerity. Practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off some way or another. False teachers have a way. They've practiced sincerity. And I'm not going to lie. I know how to do that. Okay? And now you walk out again. But as a pastor's kid, you kind of learn. Okay? I, oh, oh, I'm so mad at my dad today. I hate my mom. I'm going to punch my sister in the face. But we're now at church, so we're going to act like we love each other. And we're the best family around and whatever. And you just kind of have those expectations. Because if you act like normal and you do act upset, there's a lot more problems. So you kind of learn. And I do think there's something to that. I think some of us, we can't wear our emotions on our sleeves all the time. I think there is wisdom of saying, you know what? I am going to put this on the back burner. I'm not ignoring this problem, but this won't help this other person, right? So there is some leadership principles to that. However, be wary of those where it's all they do. It is a practice sincerity. This is ministry 101. I've had several people come up to me in our ministry, and the first Sunday they're there, they come up to me and say how incredible they are, how terrible we are, and how they can fix it. And that's when I say, okay, <laughs> bye. Because I know you were trying to woo me over, and it's not working, and, and sometimes I allow those, person, those people to come in, and they do nothing but bring division. They do nothing but bring destruction because they want to make it all about them and not all about King Jesus. They have learned to practice sincerity and appear sincere and act like they're incredible people. 
And as a pastor, it's my job to ask my wife if you're crazy or not, because I, I trust all y'all. <laughs> okay. I'm like, but he, he smiled a lot. Jordan's like, that's the problem. Have you read the Bible? Right. And so Jordan has discernment in ways that I don't. So if I just met you and I'm like, hold on, I need to bring my wife. Maybe that's not a good sign. Like maybe I don't know if I trust you or not. I'm just kidding. I want everyone to meet my wife. Um, but I do ask her after. Okay. So it is helpful though, because I believe God is doing something in our congregation. God has been moving. I, it's such a joy to see us grow and look more and more like Jesus. The more this happens, the more wolves will come in in sheep's clothing. And so we have to recognize that, okay? And you're thinking, why do you keep turning on us? Keep talking about preachers. Okay, I'll get back to us. But we have to recognize sincerity doesn't make up for sufficiency. This is the next sub point. My sincerity for life cannot replace the sufficiency of his death. One of the greatest ways we fall into false teaching is we, we come into a community because they love us. And here's my argument. Okay, well, you should come to our community because we truly love, but there is a way to love in a deceitful way. And I know a lot of cults that do this. Their main strength, they say, come, we are a great community. Come, we will take care of you. Come and we will love you but they will backstab you if you backstab them, right? They will turn on you if you turn on them. It is a very scary atmosphere. They're only using it to draw you in, and now they have you and have manipulated you to stay with them. Any Boy Meets World fans? You guys remember that episode of The Center when Sean is like in a really uh, a bad time, his father's just passed away, and this weird cult was like, come to the center. And they like hug each other every five seconds, real creepy. And I told my wife, do people really think that's what our church is like? Is this like why some people never come? Because it's like, hello. Trust me, I'm not a hugger. Like if I hug you, I hate it. Okay, and so um, I don't know if that went off well. But anyways, I'm like, I hug you because I love you, but I don't love this, okay? And so the center was like that. And that was like, it was a great ending because they're like, oh, that's a cult. We, you don't truly love or whatever. Um, Boy Meets World, so many good life principles. What happened to TV? Now, we have to see that we have to put our guard up. And we have to see a lot of times false teachers use sincerity to bring you in. Why do you follow Jesus? It's not just because he's nice. Why do you come to this community? It's not just because we're sincere, but we are sinners and we deserve judgment and our sins will cast us away from the presence of God forever. But because Jesus died on the cross and his death paid for my death, it was sufficient enough. There wasn't just God saying, I love you, but sorry. No, it's I love you so much. I died for you. Our message is always Jesus died because of your wickedness, but because of that, he lavishly loves you more than you can ever ask or imagine. This is the essence of the gospel. You cannot make up for the blood and righteousness of Christ. Only that can give us what we need, not just a couple smiles and some sincere community, okay? The church, can we be sincere? Can we be a loving community? Of course, it's such a great benefit, but that is not why we meet. It is not why we gather. Pray for our college ministry. Um, Saturday is the opening um, move-in day for our Polytech students. And I don't want to name out names, but there's a lot of ministries out there. And we ask them, why do you do what you do? What's your strategy? And so many of them say, we are just here to build community. We just want to be loving. That's great. But like, do you tell them they're sinners? <laughs> like, that's great. But like, do you go through the Bible? Oh, no, we just have pizza every, every night. Okay, I love pizza like any other guy. But how is that helping them? Like, there needs to be something deeper. There's a deeper call, and it happens everywhere. 
This is number two. Let's keep reading um, verse 15. We already read, so verse 16 um, says, You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. Eugene Peterson, the message paraphrase, says this, Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. This is point number two. False teachers love to dress in celebrity. They love to woo you in the fact that they're famous and they have a lot of followers on YouTube. This is getting scary, guys. I'm just saying it. Just kidding. I don't have enough subs to really boast about it yet. Uh, so this is also a thing that's recognized. Can some pastors get famous? Sure, that should never be their goal. That should never be like what can be, hey, follow us because so many other people follow us. No, that is not how pastors are called to live. Um, it's something much different. But you'd be surprised how many people use their celebrity status to bring more people in and deceive them with um, with not the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to flip there real quick. Uh, most of Paul's letters are yelling at the church because they don't do what Jesus said. They don't keep their guard up against false teachers. And so all of us as church members, and I think a lot of us, it's from a pure heart, likely, that we fall into the trap of the enemy. So Paul constantly writes, especially as the church in Corinth, don't follow these false teachers. Don't listen to them. Don't do that. 2 Corinthians 11 is a beautiful picture of him just going straight at the false teachers and calling them out. And I think it'll be helpful for us just to jump in here real quick. Even in verse 3, it says, I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. This cunning, this sincerity, this, hey, I'm deceiving you, just how the serpent was uh, what deceived Eve. A lot of us can be deceived if we do not have our guard up. Verse uh, 4, for if a person comes and pre preaches another Jesus, whom we did not preach, or you receive a different spirit, which you had not received, or a different gospel, which you had not accepted, you put up with it splendidly. This is verse 5. Now I consider myself in no way inferior to those super apostles. They made themselves celebrities. They said that they were way better than Paul himself. Verse 5, even if I'm untrained in public speaking, I am certainly not untrained in knowledge. Indeed, we have in every way made that clear to you in everything. Or did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you may be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge. What was happening in Corinth, these false teachers were celebrity pastors. The reality is they actually just traveled and they were really eloquent in their speech. And that is why they said, follow me because I am so eloquent in my speech. They were like actors. They were celebrities. They put on a show. And they were telling the people in Corinth, don't follow Paul and all of his stuff. You don't even want his autograph. He is not skilled. If you've read the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I came to you like a dum-dum. Like he says, I came to you real simple. I just preached Jesus and him crucified and that is it. But them, they just started throwing in stuff, made people inspired. You know what their main message was, those false teachers in Corinth? You can come to Jesus and have no suffering. They were making Corinth believe suffering's not a part of salvation. Have you read the Gospels? The whole way we got saved is Jesus died and was buried and rose again. 
And they would preach Jesus, but they said, no, it's not about suffering. We're going to skip all that. Come to Jesus and you'll get everything you'll need. Come to Jesus. Come to our church. And you'll always be encouraged. And the people in Corinth are like, Paul makes me discouraged. He tells me I'm a five. And because I'm a five, no, he didn't use Enneagram. I wish he did. And so I'm this terrible, introspective person who never serves people because I always overanalyze and all this stuff. Like, no, Paul just says it like it is. But they were saying, no, 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 there is no suffering. There are a lot of false teachings today that only propagate a message of salvation, but without the suffering. But we have to recognize the suffering is what gave us salvation. Amen. And we, in Philippians 3, it says, we become like him. We partake in him more. We experience him when we too suffer for his name's sake. So is the teaching you're listening to avoid suffering? It's likely false teaching. You know, it's also really interesting about these false teachers and the false teachers we have today is a lot of them didn't stay in one place for too long. And I think this points out to Jesus says, you'll know the tree by the fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. You can't do the inverse. The problem, the path, a lot of false teachers know that. So what they decided to do is I will come for a couple months, but I will leave before you can figure out my true character. I'm not going to have a congregation to be accountable to. I'm just going to push stuff out online. I'm going to go travel and have zero accountability because then I can do what I want, when I want, how I want to. And you don't even know if that's really me or not because I'm going to make a certain image of myself and I will never be around you long enough to know if I truly am what I'm preaching about. That's why I love pastors. I met one this week who's 84 years old and he was in ministry at one church for 30 years and another one for 14. I love that. You can't fake it after a couple of years, amen? And he finished strong. And I just told him, thank you for your example. I, you're the kind of people who need to be applauded. You're my hero. That's absolutely incredible. But today we kind of created this kind of thought that pastors shouldn't be with their congregation. I think that's hogwash. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it hurts being with y'all. <laughs> you're so honest. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes there is this desire of like, let's just not hang around them. No, 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 no. Like, the moment I truly feel that I need to quit ministry, because the reason we're doing this is because we love you, and we care for your soul, and there's so much joy in seeing you progress slowly but surely towards the goodness of Jesus. There's nothing like it. But you can't see it if all I did was sit, stand on stage and preach these truths. I'm learning more and more. The fun stuff is in the middle of the week. Your phone calls at midnight, which we kind of stopped doing that a little bit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I gotta wake up early, uh, but I, I to, it's totally fine. Just don't do it every week. No, none of you do that. I need to move forward. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. So praise God for pastors who stay around to really see who they really are. Now, of course, some pastors have to leave. Some pastors, they really are called to go for a couple years and move on to the next. So don't judge people who don't stay at one church for their whole life. But it is something, it is incredible when I do hear those stories. This is a caveat too. No pastor is perfect. No pastor's kids are perfect. Amen. Don't put this on them. Don't be like, oh, you're such a sinner. We're all sinners. So like that is the point. But there is some accountability there. Let me give you this sub point under this, this one. I cannot boast in celebrity because my hope is found in the death of me. That is the word of a pastor. I cannot boast in me being a celebrity at all. Why? Because when God uses me most is when I die to myself and allow Christ to use me. When, I want, when I'm willing to humiliate myself for the sake of the cross. That is what God uses more than being some celebrity that people are impressed with. God has called us to empower, not impress. 
And the way that I often can empower is when I die to myself. A faith that skips Saturday is a faith not worth pursuing. There's this thing called the burial. We are buried with Christ. I love verse 30, if you kept going, in, for, in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, um, if, I, if boasting is necessary, I will boast about my weaknesses. All of 2 Corinthians 11, the last half, is he's saying, oh, hey, super apostles, you preach this message of no suffering, I'm going to spend a bunch of verses telling you all the ways I've suffered. But Jesus is good in the midst of all that suffering. Your message, you have to run away from suffering. Our message, we go through it. Because Jesus is with us in the midst of suffering. That is a true gospel. A gospel that doesn't avoid, but looks at it in the face and is able to push through. Because Jesus took on the ultimate suffering. I'm going to start preaching, but I need to get moving forward, all right? Number three, false teachers love to destroy through subtlety. This one's so big. I love Paul gives that picture in Ephesians 6. Watch out for the flaming darts of the evil one. Not the flaming bazookas, right? Don't look out for the AR-15s or whatever. He says these little darts. It's the darts that kill us. It's the death of a thousand cuts. The enemy, of course, knows that if he shows up with a bazooka, you'd be like, that's bad, and run away. But if he just throws a little, like a mosquito at you, oh, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, and eventually you die. Um, That is what false teachers do. There is a way to use all the right words in all the wrong ways. There is a way to use Christianese. It's a great language. Just kidding, it's not. But Christianese, there's a way to use that to manipulate you just enough to believe whatever else I'm going to say. This is really scary stuff. The question we have to ask ourselves, here's the biggest way, to, uh, I think, to test it. I think the biggest way for us to test, is this false teaching or is it not? Because I hear Christianese, I think I hear all the right words. But when you leave... Are you thinking of yourself or are you thinking of Christ? When you hear teachings, are you encouraged because you're going to go slay the day? Is that what the kids still say? Anybody? Um, I I totally slayed today, you know. Is that what you, or is it, wow, Christ, I just love you. You're just even more beautiful in my life. I just, I want to worship you. God, I want you to use me. There is a world of a difference between Christ and me and Christ in me. My prayer is my ministry is always Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not, all right, Jesus, grab my hand. We're going to take over the world. Christ in me, baby, watch out. I am so awesome. Hey, grab my hand, Jesus. That is not why we gather together. We gather together saying, God, I know you've uniquely made me. I'm not telling myself I'm trash Um, like that Toy Story movie. You know, I'm not running to the trash can. But what God has called me to do is to recognize I am dying to myself. I am dying to my ego. I'm not here just to get a little bit of energy. I'm here to say, Jesus, what would you have me do as long? And God, I want you to... I want you to use me in power, but more importantly, I want to be in your presence. I just want to be with you. That's what true gospel teaching should always bring us to, because if it was just for motivation, that will die in the parking lot. You have to keep looking up more motivational videos on YouTube. But if our preaching leads you to sincerely devote your life to Christ and say, Christ in me, the hope of glory, me in Christ, it's just being with him, true lasting change happens. These false teachers, they spend their whole life taking actual apples and stapling them on their dead tree and saying, see, I'm alive. But that gets tiring. 
And those apples never sustain. You have to keep finding new apples, keep finding new motivation. Jesus is saying, get from the root, change with, allow God to change you from within, and those things will naturally happen. Here's the set point under that. I can be destroyed through the subtlety of abusing God's love for me. There is a difference between Christ in me and Christ in me. There's also a difference between seeing, God's, seeing God as useful and seeing God as beautiful. See a difference there? There is a way to see all these great things in the Bible and say, I'm going to use this. It's going to make me awesome. That will lead to burnout. That way leads to destruction. There is a way to see God's love and just recognize its beauty and want to be in his presence. Or you see it as useful and all you want is to be around him just enough to where you can use his power. Be weary of those. All they preach is this encouragement and pick yourself up off the bootstraps and you got this. You're incredible. Of course, we're not supposed to be like, Eeyore, why bother? We're all going to be terrible this week, amen? You know, like, it's not that either. There is a balance there. Anytime I can pull in the Eeyore voice, I'm happy. All right, so with the resurrection, that is power. But we have to recognize that resurrection is for something so much greater than you to be motivated for your Mondays. Here's the last point. How do we know what's truth? We talk about be on guard against the false prophets. But with that, I, don't want, I want to end this positively. I want us to say, okay, let's be on guard. Let's keep on watch. And to be honest, let me just say before you, I know there's times where I said something, and right when I say it, I thought, I should have said that. Why did I say that? Like I've told you before, like 87% of what I say, I like. Like I think it's biblical. The other 13%, well, I'm a human, right? So we have to recognize, so please, I don't want us to take away, like, yeah, just nitpick me, like, every week. Just go somewhere else. Like, I'm just, that's exhausting. However, if you really do believe that I'm going against the gospel, let's have a conversation. I don't want to be immune to that. I, I understand that, okay? All right. I'm, I just opened myself up for some more Instagram DMs. I'm terrified. Now, let's end in an actual encouraging part. We need to ask ourselves, how can we all be true preachers of God's word? We need to be on guard against the false teaching, but how are we teaching the truth? How can we make sure we're bringing Jesus up and doing it for his glory? This is the last point. This is always a good way to tell if you're teaching truth. Jesus is always the means by which we attain salvation and growth. It's always about Jesus. This gospel message is always about his death, burial, and resurrection. Always. There's a message that tries to get away from those things. You are leaning into false teaching. It's all about him. And it'll always be about him. It's about being in his presence. And yes, there is power. And of course, you can change your future. But it's always with the thought of I'm going to advance the kingdom of God. I'm going to use this to bring glory to the Father. We use this to recognize Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I didn't just come to you for salvation. Now I have to work hard. No, it's okay. Jesus is the one who saved me, but Jesus is also the one who sustains me. If there is a gospel message out there that says get saved, but now work for it. Talks about that in Colossians. He says, no, the same way you were saved is the same way you pursue each day. How are we giving that message to others? And how are we just telling people, it truly is just about Jesus and pursuing him and loving him and enjoying him. My greatest desire, week in, week out, you leave here, hopefully motivated a little bit, but my greatest desire is that you truly leave here thinking, Jesus, I just want to be with you more. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your grace. Jesus, I just need your mercy. 
Jesus, I need you to give me boldness to share about you to my friends this week. Jesus, 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 you are better. Psalm 63, 3, because Jesus, your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Of course, this means action on our part. Of course, it means effort. But it's always because we are like Moses. God, we won't do this if you're not with us. We are doing activity. We are doing practices because we want to be in your presence. There is nothing better than you. And I love the false teachers. They're bad trees that produce bad fruit. And it's what's good news for us. There may be a lot of people that run to it, but it always fades away because you shall know a tree by its fruit. And one of the greatest blessings is to see us as a congregation get to know Jesus, get saved by him, and slowly but surely we can't help but start producing fruit that is an abundance of love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We start to produce these things, not because we heard, not because, well, we're incredible, but because Jesus in his infinite mercy makes us new. And while he makes us new, these new fruit, they just naturally produce. So don't, get, don't covet the false teachers around you. Don't covet those who seems like they're advancing faster than you. Realize that many of them are just taking a stapler, putting good fruit on a bad tree, but their sin will find them out. Take joy in recognizing that some of you are new to the faith, and you're just a little itty bitty tree, right? Don't freak out that people are producing fruit and you're not yet. But in turn, you will produce fruit. It's one of the greatest joys of life.